Well, good evening, everybody. It's a great honor and blessing to be here with you today. And uh, just reminded of that scripture, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And uh, I love the end of that section there where, where God commands the blessing. And the blessing is life eternal. And uh, so I, it's great to be with you our extended family in Jesus Christ. And as we know, we've got people from Rye Lane, so the Rye Laners, uh, Chapel, sorry. Rye Lane Chapelers, just wave a hand at everybody. This is, we bought Team Rye Lane Chapel uh, along with us as well. And it's just beautiful that we can just be in God's presence together as God's family. And uh, <clears throat> I'd like to thank uh, Jenny as well for the invite to be here with you. And uh, I was really just seeking the Lord and and uh, I was honestly a little bit unsure what to share uh, today. And I know you're going through this, this time of how do we hear from the Lord? Uh, how do we hear from the Lord when we don't hear from him for quite some time? How do we recognize his voice, that it's him and it's not me or, or some other influence? And, and, um, and I kind of write, wrote down some notes and things and I thought, ah, this doesn't feel right. God, why, why isn't this not clicking? And... And I felt the Lord just say to me, or just pointed me back to Psalm 46, verse 10, and just that one line where it says, be still and know that I am God. And so this evening, I've just, the, the title of the sermon, if you want a title, is Hearing God and Knowing God. And what better way to hear from God than to know him? How can we hear from someone we don't know? And so this is where I want to go this evening. And uh, the best way to know if God is speaking, as I said, is to know him. But, and we, we won't recognize the voice of someone we don't know. It's like your own parent. You know, you, you can, when we were younger, you know, we always could tell the voice of our mum or dad who was telling us off. Even if we couldn't see them, we recognized that voice when that voice was giving us instruction. It's like that with the Lord. And our, our lives are often so busy, aren't they, They're, that God is squeezed out of our schedule. Church can sometimes feel like an add-on to an already very busy week. But God requires our first fruits in our lives. And it's why, partly, we meet on a Sunday. Because Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day we remember uh, the Lord's resurrection. But also, apart, you know, despite what the secular world might tell you, Sunday is the first day of the week still. Not Monday, it's Sunday. And it's a way that we can worship God by giving our first fruits, giving the best of ourselves to him at the beginning of the week. And we're called to meditate on God and his word. And the psalmist meditated on God's word morning, noon, and night. And I think that's a, it's a pattern that we should perhaps follow, to meditate on him, meditate on God's word. And in so doing, we will know God more. We will know him better, when we will, and we will grow spiritually as well. And so there are many ways that we can do this practically, of course. I don't know about you, how you do it. It could be that you might wake up in the morning and you just put some worship music on. 
Um, you might follow a, a Bible app. I don't, anyone follow a Bible app at all? Yeah, you can see some hands. There's some good ones like uh, Uversion. There's uh, Lectio 365. Anyone heard of that one? Yeah, I've been put onto that one recently. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Just to focus our hearts and minds on the Lord, both morning and evening. And also, it's good that we just take a, just a moment to pray. Psalm 105 is a, is a great way, a great pattern that we can follow. We, we just give thanksgiving to the Lord. We, we praise the Lord. We remember what he has done in our lives. We remember the covenant that he's made with us. And it's a great way just to dedicate ourselves and our day to God. And in so doing, the more that we do that, begin to, to recognize when God speaks to us. And uh, when, as I was preparing this week, I just felt when I was reading this scripture, there was an emphasis in my heart on, on the words, know God. And so that's where I want us to go a little bit this evening. And as a church at Rye Lane Chapel last year, we began to, to do a series on the Lord's Prayer, and we began to unpack uh, stage by stage the words of the Lord's Prayer. And actually, we spent over two months on the opening line. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we began to speak about God being our Father, and, and the, the Hebrew or the Aramaic word is this word Abba, which is not a famous Swedish pop group, but this word Abba is an intimate word. It's more than father, but actually it means daddy. And so when Jesus was, was teaching the disciples how to pray, he was saying, in this new covenant, you can come with, to the father in intimacy. He desires intimacy. And he, he used this word daddy, and it, it was shocking to the disciples because previously the, the disciples knew of God far off. And it, and it was only because when Jesus came, they, they could begin to see who God really was. And slowly but surely they began to see that perhaps this is what God looks like. But Jesus was saying to them, I am your dad. And it really changes the the feel and the emphasis of the relationship that God wants with his people. But coupled with that, he goes on and says, hallowed be your name. So in one part we have the intimacy, but also we have the greatness, the awesomeness of God, if you will. And so there's this balance that Jesus was saying, you can be really close to me, but remember, God is holy. And so we began to focus on many names for God. We were really just scratching the surface over the next few months. We began to look at some of his names. But the point was that we just sensed that God wanted to reveal himself more and more to us. And that's what he wants. He wants to reveal himself, his nature, his character to us. And because he, the reason for that is he wants us to love him more. He wants us to love him as he loves us. He wants us to love him with all our hearts as he loves us with all his heart. Amen? And we really can't possibly worship him effectively unless we spend time with him. We can't worship someone we don't know. 
And he wants us to know him as we are known. And in so doing, he wants us to to recognize his voice when he speaks to us. So I want us to look at the, the name that God actually uses to introduce himself to Moses first and the people of Israel. And he calls himself simply, I am. When we think of ourselves, we use adjectives very often to define ourselves, don't we? We either say, you know, we're, we're black or we're white or we're brown, we're rich, we're poor, we are politically left-wing or right-wing, we are liberal or we're conservative, uh, or maybe we might say we're, we're well or we're sick. You might say, I'm active or I'm lazy, or we normally talk about other people, he, he's active or he's lazy, <laughs> not me. We're outgoing or we're introvert. But God, when he reveals himself to Moses, he simply says, I am. And I, I just, it was crazy, but I just imagined a t-shirt. If God were to wear a t-shirt, it would be, I am, no adjective required. He is complete and he's absolute in himself. He doesn't need any other adjectives. And so what I would like us to do, you can go in the Bible, and I believe we're going to have it on the screen. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 3, where we see this account. But I just want to give a bit of background. In Exodus 2 and 3, we see that the Israelites hadn't heard from God in a long time. They hadn't heard from God since the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From a time when the people had prospered under Joseph in Egypt... Now they've been slaves for 400 years and they're crying out to God for help in their distress. And God hears their cries and he sees the oppression and so he decides to act. And for the people, maybe God was just a distant memory. Perhaps God was just a story handed down from generation to generation. Maybe people told stories of the great miracles of the past, the wonders But their conclusion maybe was, well, that was then. God doesn't do that anymore. I wonder if that's a familiar phrase that we've heard. Well, God doesn't really do that today. And certainly the people didn't know the voice of God. They didn't know how to hear him anymore. So God comes in, he intervenes. And and as we know, Exodus 3 is that story of God meeting with Moses at the burning bush. And he reveals himself. And so... If we drop down to verse 6, where it says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's how he introduces himself. But as we see, he hasn't given a name yet. But in that moment, God commissions Moses to go to Egypt to free God's people because he's seen their suffering. Moses complains and argues and whines about it, tries to get out of it. Who's to blame him? You know, he's 80 years old. You know, he's not, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's lacking in confidence, not just because of his age, because of the way he messed up when he was prince of Egypt and, and he killed someone and he had to run away. And, and we see how God is just really, really patient with Moses. And then in verse 13... We see this. 
Verse 13 onwards, Moses said to God, suppose I go to Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So you can imagine that, can't you? Uh, Yes, thank you for introducing yourself, but what's your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Hallelujah. We live in a culture and generation, especially here in London, where people have very different concepts of God. And often there are kind of spiritual, in inverted commas, spiritual people, religious people. They believe perhaps that there are many gods uh, with a small g, and in a sense they're not wrong with a small g. Other people think there may be one God, that, but, but many routes and roads to him or her. Perhaps the greatest lie of them all is, is the one that Satan has laid at our, our doorstep in this generation, that there is no God. Not only has he convinced people that there is no devil, there's no God either. The only God that you need is yourself. This is just me and, uh, and a cup of tea. The way I interpret what we see in the book of Revelation uh, and that number, 666, where it says it's the number of man. I think that might be a spiritual thing. And it might be a good conversation piece to have. You know, people have different interpretations of this. This is just the way I see it right now. But the number six being the number of man could mean simply me, myself, and I. That I am God. I don't need anybody else. And particularly here in the West, we live in a very individualistic society, don't we? We're told we don't need anyone else. We don't need community. We don't need family. We just do our own thing. As a result of that, of course, people fall into deep depression very often. We know that suicides are on the rise. People are just selfish. People talk about my rights the way I want it. And we see all kinds of, again, quote-unquote, sermons on TV, don't we? On social media, about the power of you. Even songs, it's the power of you. You know, you don't need anyone else. But I reckon that comes from the pit of hell itself. It's designed to convince you that you don't need God. And all the time, it's just drawing people away from Almighty God. But the psalm says, says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. But to understand God's introduction to Moses, we need to understand that there are different Hebrew definitions for the word God. Now, I am no Hebrew scholar, okay? 
Um, I got this from somewhere else, and uh, I, I loved it when I was studying and preparing for this. Uh, I'm going to say some words in Hebrew. It's going to make me sound intelligent, but I really am not. Okay? So go with me on this, because it's really, really helpful. So every religion, as we know, has a god or gods. And this word god in this context is simply a title. It's not a name. Okay, so the word, Hebrew word for God in that context is the word Elohim. I'm sure we've heard of that word Elohim. And so in, in chapter 3, verse 6, it could be translated, I am the Elohim of your fathers. Okay, and there were other nations and peoples that had other Elohim, other gods. So, for example, the Egyptians would have had their Elohim. And, for example, they, they, had, they worshipped the sun god. The sun god Ra would be their Elohim, okay, just to give you another example. So God, in that conversation with Moses, gets a little bit more specific with him. He says, I am the same Elohim that your fathers worshipped. I was their Elohim. But somehow that was still insufficient for Moses, so God gives himself a name. And this is what I heard and studied, or studied, it was a, I heard, and this is the name Echweh. Okay, thank you very much. That was my Hebrew. That's all I've got. And Shalom is the other one. Okay, but you can be as intelligent as me. Can I hear everybody say Echweh? Thank you. You're, always, you've done, you're good, good scholars here. So in verse 14, it says, where he says, I will be with you. Echweh means literally, I will be. I will be with you. He says, but that doesn't mean some time in the future. He's not saying, I'm over there in the future. I'm going to cross my arms and wait for you to catch up to me. No. He says, I'm with you right now. I am with you from this moment into your future. I will be with you forever. Because I'm not restricted by time. I am with you in your yesterday. I am with you in your today I am with you right now in your tomorrow. Now, as mind-bending as that sounds, he is already there. He is with you in your yesterday. He was holding you in the palm of his hands in your yesterday. He is with us right now in this moment. He is always with us. It's this, I will be. And that's why the better translation in the English Bible is I am who I am. It means he, he exists constantly. He is with us forever. He is the same forever. Not only does he have no end, but think about this. This kind of blew my mind. God has no beginning. I let that one sink for a second. He has no beginning. And therefore he has no end. And so he's saying to to Moses, this is my name. What, and whatever character I display, he's saying, it is me. It's part of my name. It's part of my character. It's part of who I am. This all-encompassing, I am who I am. And so when he says, I am the provider, he's saying also, I am provision. It is me. It's not something I just do. It is who I am. When he says that he is the counsellor, he is counsel. 
When he says, I am the comforter, he says, I am comfort. He says, I am righteousness. I am sanctification. I am peace. I am healer. I am the shepherd. And so on. Whatever characteristic I show, I'm, I, it's not I just I do, but it is I am. I am the standard by which all else is set. And everything else comes up short. He is the standard. Everything needs to be compared to him and not the other way around. That's what the world has done to us. We're comparing God to the standard of the world. We've created God in our own image. He says, I'm unique, I'm complete in myself. And so in his name, God is making a character statement just about himself. He says, I am and will continue to be what I am and forever will be. Which is quite worthy. So then when Moses introduces God, Moses uses the word Yahweh or Yahweh. And that's simply Hebrew, Hebrew grammar, by my understanding. So he, he's not calling, he doesn't call him Ehweh, which is I am who I am, but he introduces him Yahweh, which literally means he is who he is. And you might see that sometimes in Bible footnotes. He is who he, who he is. So but the, the best way for Bible translators to differentiate between Lord as a master or a ruler of a house or a, or a town, for example, we would just have the normal low-case Lord. But when we have this word Yahweh, in the, in the English Bible particularly, we have the word Lord written in capital letters. I don't know if you've noticed that. But that word Lord in capital letters is the word for Yahweh in the original translation. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. He's saying not only he exists beyond time, but he is absolute in name and in character, in his holiness, in his justice, in his mercy, in his grace, in his sovereignty, in his kingship, his rulership, in his love. He's absolute. It's in his name, in his character. No one can touch him, and he is unchanging. Amen? I think if you were to look up all of these words in, in a divine dictionary, that definition, Yahweh, he is that. It's just him. J.I. Packer, in his book, Concise Theology, says that God is saying to Moses, I am the eternal, self-sustaining, self-determining, sovereign reality. He needs no one else to complete him. And I think that's such a marvelous thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are complete. They are three, and yet they are one. They don't need us to complete them. And yet, God says, I want you to join me in that relationship. Isn't that an incredible thing? That we can join him 
Verse 15 in our text says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And if we were to go to, across to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, which is a repetition of the Ten Commandments, he starts off in verse 6, he says, I am who I am. So that word, ehweh, ehweh am your Elohim. Verse 7, he goes on to say, you will not worship any other Elohim. And what I find interesting about that is when the Greek translation of that word is a word daimon, from which we get the word demon. He said, you will not worship any other God with a small g, which is demonic. You will not have any of them but me. So not only is God acknowledging that there are demons who set themselves up as gods, but these are ones that, that vie for our attention, who are there to destroy us, to take away, take us away from our relationship with God, potentially. But this Elohim, Yahweh, the great I Am, the Lord, capital letters, the one true God, the creator, the giver and sustainer of life, he has made a covenant with us. He's a covenant-keeping God. Hallelujah. And he's saying, you won't bow down to these other ones because I am the only one true living God. I am the Lord. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And I'm jealous. I'm jealous of anyone who tries to take you away from me. Why? Because I love you. God says, I made you. I keep you. I hold you in the palm of my hand. Can you see why he's jealous? If we're in that place and we start looking away in other directions, he's jealous for us. He says, I won't tolerate it if you give your allegiance to others. And of course, we see how the people of Israel did it time and time again. And so we see in Jesus introduced into the scene into the story of the human race. He comes finally and definitively to redeem his people and all this, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, something only God could do. And we're going to look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 53 onwards, Jesus is teaching exactly this to the religious leaders and those who were listening at the time that we are children and descendants of Abraham by faith through Jesus. And so the religious leaders answer him, and they are, in fact ask him a question. Verse 53, he says, they say, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. 
You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham. Very truly I say to you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So right here, Jesus revealed himself not only as equal to God, but as God. This is why it was such an offense to the religious leaders. He was committing blasphemy as far as they were concerned. And just as a side issue to anybody who says to you, well, Jesus never said he was the son of God. It's right here in scripture. Jesus said, I am. Jesus says, I and the Father, now listen to my terrible grammar, I and the Father am God. I did that deliberately. We are one. We are the same. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the reflection, if you like, the, the, the carbon copy of God. If we want to see what God looks like, look to Jesus. Jesus is, I am. I am who I am. So we, that's the reason the, the religious leaders wanted to stone him. If we go over to John chapter 1, which reflects Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. But John reiterates. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. The word was with God, I am. The word was God. I am. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 6. He's speaking about food sacrificed to idols, but he says this. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Hallelujah. So God, Yahweh, I am who I am. He is to be exalted in our lives. And we are to find that balance in our lives. Jesus wants to reveal himself as, he, as we are spending time with him, as we're seeking him. He is there to answer. And my prayer for us is that God will give us ears to hear him and eyes to see him. That's the quest for all of us as believers, isn't it? Amen. We want to see him. We want to hear him. And he wants to reveal that intimacy, that he is daddy, that we can come to him as his children. It's almost as though we can come and just sit on his lap as we would our own father or mother. Sit on his lap and put our head on his chest and just hear his heartbeat for us. That intimacy is his desire for us. And I'm sure it's your desire for him too, to have those moments with him. But we're also to find that awesomeness of God, 
to focus on the fact that he is holy, he is mighty, he is all-powerful, he is all-sufficient. He is the I am who I am. He is the standard. He is above and beyond all things. He is creator. The Psalms say that out of his mouth he breathed the starry host. Now if it came out of his mouth, that great universe that is so big is beyond human comprehension. When people start talking in terms of trillions of light years away from us, and yet God breathed that all into existence. How great is our God. Amen. So our God is intimate, but he's holy. God is supreme. John 17, 11, Jesus refers to God as Holy Father in the same name. God wants to reveal himself to us. He's desperate to be known. And he's jealous for you. He's jealous for me. He's jealous for our time. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to know his voice, to recognize that he is the good shepherd. John chapter 10 goes into that. We as his children now can recognize his voice. And all we need to do is just take time and stop to listen. He's so desperate to have that intimacy with us that he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus, who poured himself into human form in order that he might be sacrificed on the cross, the perfect lamb of God to take away our sin and shame and guilt. And in return, he gives us life. He gives us blessing. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He overwhelms us with his love. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. What we deserve, we didn't get. He gave us mercy. We didn't get the punishment we deserved. Instead, he gave us grace. He gave us the blessing we also did deserve. God is so good. Jesus paid the debt for us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And Paul instructs us on the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us boldness. He gives us strength. Jesus said in Acts 1, before he returned to heaven, he said, I'm sending the promise of the Father for you and you will be my witnesses. No, he didn't say you will do some witnessing. He said you will be my witness in all the earth. And so God gives us by his spirit his strength and his power and boldness to shine with the love of Jesus in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, at the school gate. God invites us into that perfect union, that bond of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those, the three who are one. And he says, come, come. We can come boldly before him to the throne of grace. The Holy Spirit bids us come. Come and share what we've got. 
That's his desire for each one of us. He wants us to know him so we can love him better. Matthew 22, 37 to 38, so very, very famous, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So when we come to Jesus, let's come as Moses did when he met the great I am. Let's come, if you like, shoeless. Let's come with reverence before him. Say to the Lord, Lord, speak to me. Give me ears to hear you. Let me recognize your voice. It could be something, my own example, when I was just kind of starting out and praying that prayer, Lord, help me to hear you. And I remember... You don't know my story, but uh, my wife and I were, for many years, missionaries in Italy. And uh, in the summertime, it doesn't rain a lot. It'll rain in the spring for 10 days flat, full on. And then it'll be nice and dry, blue sky for about three months. Wonderful. Am I making you jealous? (laughs) But I remember I was leaving the house one morning, and I just had this sensation, take an umbrella. Of course, I didn't take an umbrella. It was beautiful blue sky. I live in Italy. Why would I need an umbrella? And of course, later on in the day, there was a thunderstorm that came through, and I had to come home on my scooter from the center of the city, and I got absolutely drenched. Now, that for me was a moment where I recognized after the fact, oh, that was the voice of the Lord. He's trying to teach me something. Now, that, that might be just little, It might sound insignificant, but that was part of my journey. And the Lord might give you other situations where you begin to recognize the voice of the Lord and you begin to trust the voice of the Lord. Stay in God's word. Be intimate with him daily. We're called to walk daily with him. We're called to walk in the spirit or live in the spirit daily. Worship him daily. And the more we do it, we more we will sense his presence in our lives, the more we will recognize him when he speaks. And we're called to obey. When God speaks, we must obey. So this is my encouragement for us today. I'm just going to ask Meg if she would just come and lead us in some worship. And we're going to pray as well. And there might be some... You might want to have prayer along these lines today. Lord, can you, can you teach me what your voice sounds like in my life? God speaks to me in a different way than he will speak to you, and vice versa. He's unique to you. The Holy Spirit has his own relationship with you, and it's exciting. The journey is exciting. The Lord might give you gifts where You can hear his voice prophetically and begin to speak prophetically out of the word of God. The Bible also encourages us to, in some of the other gifts, might be words of knowledge, where God might unlock a a situation where, for example, you might see someone and and you say to that person, I just feel God saying this about your life. I don't know if that's relevant or not, but it might be a key to unlocking something in their life where they needed a breakthrough. That's the Holy Spirit's voice through you. And it can be an exciting journey. 
It might be that you're in the street and with the Holy Spirit's direction, you see someone on the street and the Holy Spirit says, go and speak to that person. It's happened in my life and and life of many others and probably many in this room where there's been a dramatic breakthrough because somebody went up and spoke to a person. I remember part of my story as well. I was in a music ministry for many years and we were ministering in a particular place. One of the ladies in our team was singing and as she was singing, she came off the platform and walked down the middle of the aisle. And as she was singing, it was a song called When It Hurts So Bad, Why Don't You Give It to Jesus? And as she sang that line, she stopped and the Lord said, stop here. And she put her hand on this young girl's shoulder. After the meeting, this girl gave her life to Jesus. And she said, I was about to commit suicide. And I walked into the church because I said, God, if you're real, talk to me. If you don't talk to me, I'm ending my life because I know you're not real. So in that moment, my friend obeyed the word of God because she recognized his voice and a life was changed it can be that exciting for every single person in this room amen i pray that you enjoy the journey with jesus it's exciting because jesus is real amen jesus is real god is not dead he is alive hallelujah let's just worship the lord together